We are in our uh, series, this Star Trip, and we are in uh, Matthew chapter 2. And before you open that up, kind of you can get to it, but put a finger there and close it. Uh, just to kind of give us a little bit of a base knowledge of how we're doing on this. I have a little three-question quiz that's going to come out of the section that we're at. Uh, so let's just kind of get a, a, a snapshot of where we're at as we begin this, all right? So here's question number one. Uh, Matthew 2, 2, the wise men stopped in Jerusalem. Why did they do that? A, to inform Herod about Jesus. B, to find out where Jesus was. C, to ask about the star. D, to buy presents. E, none of the above. You're going to have to remember your answers because we have three questions in a row, then the answers will come up. All right, we're good with that one. Let's go to question two. Oh, that's messed up. Let's go to question three. How many wise men came to see Jesus? Is it A, 3, B, 6, C, 9, D, 12, or E? We don't know. All right, so our three-question quiz became a two-question quiz. All right. Let's see how we did. Question number one, answer. Wise men stopped in Jerusalem. Reason? To find out where Jesus was. They were looking for this baby-born king of the Jews. All right? Uh, question two, maybe it's better on this one. We can find the answer for that. Yes. In Matthew, what does wise men or magi refer to? Uh, it's men who study the stars. And then question three, how many wise men came to see Jesus? How many thought three? Ah, you know what? We learn so much, and it sticks with us through our music. How many of you guys have ever seen sung three, We Three Kings of Orient are? All right? Somehow that sticks, and all of a sudden we think magi are kings, and that there was three of them. The reason we do that, there's three gifts. Uh, but we don't know how many came. There could have been three. There could have been a, a dozen. We have no clue. Uh, but we know they came, and they presented Jesus with these three gifts uh, and so that was a good starting point to kind of let us know where we're at. But let's jump in and let's read Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. It says this, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, search carefully for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. And so here we see the story of Jesus' birth and the surrounding things going on with Jesus' birth. 
And we're introduced to two different uh, people or different groups uh, in this story. And so the first one that we're introduced to is the wise men. We may have pre preconceptions about these wise men, but what, what do we know about the wise men? Uh, the picture coming up, they probably don't look like this, but this was uh, one movie's prediction of them. But this is what we know from the text. This is what we know from uh, understanding their culture and what they've done. So they're from the east. We don't know the exact location, but they were from the east of this place. They were learned men. Uh, they were not fools. They studied. They were learned men. And what they studied, part of what they studied, they studied the stars intently. Uh, some people believe they may have been over from where Babylon is and that when Daniel, back in the Old Testament, was captive there, that he would have taught these men about the promise of the one that was to come. We don't know for sure. But the things that we can, we can predict reasonably was that these guys were studiers. They were probably the teachers and the philosophers of their day. Uh, they knew history. They knew religion. And they studied astronomy or they studied the stars. And when a new star appeared, it meant something to them. And it drove them enough that they packed up their stuff and they went on a journey that probably took them at least a month, probably more, to get there. And they were looking for what this star represented, a new king that was born the Jews. So they get there to Jerusalem thinking maybe this, where this palace, where all this place, maybe this is where the baby's born. And they go, and then they're searching. They come into contact with a man named Herod. King Herod, or Herod the Great. What do we know about him? Herod the Great was not born as a Jew. He was not born to Israel parents. But what had happened was his parents had actually converted to Judaism. Kind of like God had hoped that they would be a light to those around them. Now, we don't know if it was an authentic because they were just overwhelmed by who God is or if there was some political uh, reason that they accepted or converted to Judaism, but his parents converted to Judaism. And so he grew up understanding the Jewish rules, laws, perspectives, and all of that. His family was into politics, and him being one growing up in that, he was very ambitious, very ambitious, definitely wanted to lead and made ways for himself to lead. He was a skilled politician. He worked his way through the ranks, and as the video that we watched of our skit showed, he was actually labeled or called the King of the Jews. That was a title that was given to him, and that was a title he referred to himself by. And so he was an extravagant builder. As the ruler, he put heavy taxes on his people so they could build great things. The original temple that had been broken down and built, or, or burned down, he rebuilt the temple. Uh, he, rebuilt, he built this place called the Herodian. All of these extravagant buildings to basically become a monument of his power, of his leadership, of, of his greatness. He was a very strong leader. Paranoid, but a strong leader. And he led through secret police. And he was very quick to have people killed or put in prison. Uh, people like his own father-in-law was killed. Several of his own wives he had killed. Some of his own sons he had killed. He was not going to allow anybody to take over his throne or overthrow him. And all in all, until he died, he reigned 37 years in this area of Jerusalem. So it, it's interesting. The ones who had heard about the coming of the Messiah 
their whole life and generation and generation and generation and generation before him. The Jews, the Israelites. The ones that have been longing for, looking for the Messiah. The ones that should have got it when he came are the ones that missed it. And the ones who were from far off, probably following other gods, were the ones who said something big's going on and we should go and figure or see this. Go back to verse 3, chapter 2. Verse 3. When King Herod heard this, the Magi come, they talk about the star, where is the king of the Jews that's been born. When Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. It says that when King Herod heard this, his reaction was not excitement. Woo, yeah, the Messiah has been born. His reaction was to be disturbed. And not just Herod, but it says that all of Jerusalem with him was disturbed. Throughout this series, we've been talking about that there is a battle going on. Good versus evil. Light versus dark. That this battle has been going on from the beginning of time and it still continues today. And so, why did Herod and Jerusalem respond the way that they did? Well, as we said, what was King Herod called? The king of the Jews. And now these magi come and tell him there's a new king of the Jews that's been born. A direct threat to him. A direct threat to his rulership, his leadership that he worked so hard to get and that he has worked so hard to protect. All of a sudden he feels, um, that's my job. I, I don't think so. I don't think there's going to be someone else that's going to come and take my job. So here's what we learn. We know. King Jesus, the one that we celebrate Christmas is coming. King Jesus is a threat to those who cling to power. But King Jesus is also a savior to those who come to him. King Jesus is a threat to those who cling to their power, to control, to having the controls in their hands. He's a threat to those people. But to those who willingly come to him, he's a savior. That's who King Jesus is. That's what we come to know at Christmas time. So, how does this impact us here today? How does this impact your life? How does this impact my life? What does this mean for me as I leave here and I shovel snow this afternoon and I deal with Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday? What does it mean? What it means is, if there is no king, then I'm allowed to rule my own life. If there is no king, you get to rule your own life. If there's no one in charge, if there's no one that's over all this, then each of us can do whatever the heck we want to do. But this King Jesus, who came as a baby, he's a threat to the control of our own lives. If you really like to be in the driver's seat of your own life, to make the things happen, to call the shots, to say this is where the time is spent, this is where the resources are spent, this is where my energy goes to, this is the vision and the picture that I have for what I want to experience and what I want to accomplish. If that's where you find yourself at right now, I've got good news for you. King Jesus is a threat to you. You may not see that as good news, but it is. King Jesus is a threat to you. He came as a baby and he threatened those who clung to control. Because he's still king. 
and his coming meant that we are not to be the leaders of our own lives. So it's for us. King Jesus is a threat to those who cling to power and a savior to those who come. So a lot of this is all about perspective. In the story, who do you identify yourself with? Do you identify yourself with the Magi who, man, I would have traveled forever to go and get to see and experience Jesus? Or do you identify yourself with King Herod and those in Jerusalem who were disturbed by the message that there was a new king? I wonder. I wonder how many of us would say, yeah, I see myself as a wise man. But if we truly looked at our life, might be more like Herod or one from Jerusalem because we still want to cling to control. We still want to have the say in our own life. We've kind of, as you can know, known, we played this off of the movie sequence or the movie, movie tri- uh, trilogies, Star Wars. Uh, in the f- initial trilogy of Star Wars, uh, this young kind of protege, Luke Skywalker, is discovering that he has strengths. He's being trained by masters, and one of the masters that he is trained by is a little green thing called Yoda. Uh, And Yoda speaks to him all sorts of wisdom dispersed on him and all these kind of things. But but one of the things Yoda says, and we got a picture of it come here. Yoda says, fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Think about that for a second. Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Yoda experienced this because Luke's father was Anakin Skywalker. This really shouldn't be a, you know, a big revelation to many of us. But Anakin Skywalker becomes Darth Vader. And if you look at the pattern of his life through the movies, you look at this young boy... Fear turns into a young, a young man with anger inside of him. And then all of a sudden, this turn starts to take place in him. And he becomes filled with hatred. And the rest of his life, as Darth Vader, you just see this suffering, internal suffering that he experiences, which he then makes other people suffer. Look at King Herod. Think of his experience. So he's, he's been just clinging to this power, clinging to this life that he has built for himself, and now there's a threat to it. And so the fear of losing out on his power, losing his throne, losing his place, all of a sudden that fear is so consuming him, it leads him to anger, it leads him to hatred, it leads him to suffering, personal internal suffering, but also suffering of those all around him. I think this pathway is actually legit. I don't think it was just for the movies. I think when we have fear of losing control, when we have fear of losing something that we want and we desire, that fear will quickly move into an anger of anyone or anything that threatens it. And if that anger is not dealt with, it will lead to a hatred and a suffering or misery inside of our own lives, but also to anyone who's around us. And so I think it's good for us to ask the question, who are we most like in the story? Are we most like King Herod? Fearful of the life that we have that Jesus might disrupt? Or, 
Or are we like the Magi who willingly disrupt the life we have to go look for the King and to worship Him and to celebrate Him and to honor Him and to form our lives around Him? King Jesus is a threat to those who cling to power. He's a Savior to those who come to Him. In the book of John, as John was talking about the beginning of Jesus, he comes from a whole different perspective. doesn't even mention the manger or anything. But he says this in John 1, verse 5. Can you read that out loud with me really loud together? Ready? One, two, three, let's go. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus came for people like you and me. Uh, people that at the core of us, we probably do like to cling to control. But he came invade that darkness with light to transform who we are to transform who I am to transform who you are to change our present to change our future and to push out that darkness to push out that desire to cling to control and to have fear which might lead to hatred and anger and suffering We ask three questions when we teach here. What did you hear? How can you respond? Who can you share this with? And so I'm going to invite you just to take a few, a minute or so to think through that. As we look in the scriptures, as we look at what was taking place in the scripture, what jumped out to you? Did the Lord speak to you at all during this service? If you can answer that yes, and you can kind of put a perspective of what that is that you've heard from him, what then would be the response that God would want from you in obedience? And the third question is, who can you share with? The reason we share things is because, one, it allows the truth to go on beyond this room. But two, when I share something that the Lord's been doing to me, I have to then put it into words. And just that process of putting it into words makes that truth sink deeper inside of me. And, and so what is the Lord speaking to you? Is he talking about control? Is he talking about reorienting your life around the newborn king? And instead of being fearful of what the king may ask of change in my own life. I've always wondered what happened to the Magi after they left Bethlehem. We know they went a different route. They didn't go back to King Herod. They went home. I wonder what happened to them. I wonder if them sharing their experience, what they experienced with seeing the newborn king, if that may have set a foundation in their community their nation. That when the early church, after Jesus died and rose again, if when it spread the news of Jesus out, if that foundation was already set for the revival to take place in that community, in that nation, for people to recognize the one our friends went to go worship is the one who died and rose again and the one who saves us. So I just wonder what happened if we truly accept this message, if we truly recognize he's not one to fear, but he's one to embrace, what it will do to our community, and to our region, and to our nation, as we take that news to those who are in need. I want to spend some time praying. And then we're going to sing in response. We're going to sing one of the great Christmas carols. Come thou long expected Jesus. Asking him, would you come into our lives? Would you come into our situation? And would you have control in there. Would you stand with me?
to pray, then let's sing together. Kind Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your scripture and your words to us. Thank you for the, just the story of your birth, of how, how it disturbed people in different ways. For some, it disturbed their life because they knew they had to be there and they oriented their life around following you. For others, it disturbed them in that it was going to mess up what they were clinging to. And so you, you still do that to us, Lord. And so for those of us that are clinging to something, control or the power or a life that we've built, Lord, would you begin to just pull away the blinders and help us to see what's actually going on? That when we cling to that, we miss out on the best. And would you help us this Christmas to once again come back to you, the one who was sent for us. Lord, we sing together. Come. Come. Come into our lives now. But we're also asking that you would come once again in all of your fullness and all of your glory to make things right. We are longing for you. Jesus' name we pray. Amen.